So today we're completing a June sermon series on Christian leadership. We've been calling this Christ-like leadership in an age of outrage. And today will be the last sermon uh, that I will give before I take a, uh, a short summer break. I get a six-week sabbatical every, uh, every three years, and this one is well-timed. After a capital campaign, after a pandemic, um, I'm thankful to have a little bit of time off. But while I'm away, you'll hear some great preaching from our other ministers, and I've also invited a couple of guests to come to Woodmont. Uh, Dr. Dick Ham, who used to head up our denomination, is coming. Um, my friend uh, Greg Jones, who's the new president of Belmont University, former dean of Duke Divinity School, he's going to be coming. And also uh, Dr. Lee Camp, who's a professor at Lipscomb, is going to come as, as well. So, so you're going to hear some really good preaching while I'm away. I hope you'll want me back when it's, uh, when it's said and done. But I, I, I'm looking forward to having some time off and it'll be great to welcome these folks to, to Woodmont. Today is also the day at the next service that we install our new leadership, our deacons, our board members, and we ordain uh, our new elders. And so I am grateful uh, to those who are stepping up to lead, and I'm also grateful to those who are rolling off, who are completing their terms. They've had quite a, a, a time to be a leader in the church, and I'm grateful to all of them. Over the last few weeks, I've tried to make the case that Leadership matters and it's important. But the Christ-like leadership is not the same as any other kind of leadership. Christ-like leaders are held to a higher standard. Uh, we must be familiar with the teachings of Jesus Christ. We must focus on trying to live out the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. We must be missional in the way that we approach our life and our, our, our faith we also now live in a world, we've talked about this, that's full of outrage. Where just about every day or every week, there's something new that happens that causes us to be outraged. And the one thing we've established about outrage is that outrage gets exhausting after a while. You can only be outraged so many times before it just starts to wear you out. Uh, John Maxwell is a guy that I respect a lot. I spent some time with him a few years ago down in Florida. He's got a lot of books on leadership. He was a former pastor. This is something that he said that's always stuck with me. He says, everything rises and falls on leadership. He says, people determine the potential for the organization. Relationships determine the morale of the organization. Structure determines the size of the organization. Vision determines, let me get my page going. I can't see the, I can't see the screen. He says, vision determines the direction of the organization, but leadership determines the success of the organization. So therefore, leadership in all areas of life matters. And it matters especially when it comes to the church. So today, what I'd like to do as we wrap up this series, this June sermon series, is I want to name what I see as being the five most important traits of a Christian leader. And if you think about this, it's really the five most important traits of a Christian leader, but also of just a Christian person who's trying to live their lives. So these are the qualities that all leaders should try to have. These are the traits that should define those of us who are trying to lead in the name of Jesus Christ. So here's the first one. The first trait is that we must be Christ-centered in the way that we live. Well, that seems obvious, but you'd be surprised that for many Christians, that's not the case. Many Christians in our culture, even many Christian leaders, don't know Jesus and they don't know what he teaches. 
And the only way that you get to know Jesus is by reading and studying the Gospels. That's where we learn about him. What he said, what he did, uh, the miracles he performed, the parables that he told. I told you last week that according to Luke's Gospel, uh, Jesus comes out and begins his ministry by saying these words. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. That's what Jesus came to do. That was his mission. And, and I believe that he calls us to do the same. Now, Jesus was reading from the words of the prophet Isaiah. And then after he finishes that, he rolls the scroll back up. And you know what he says? He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Being Christ-centered does not mean that we are perfect. Not a single one of us is perfect. If you're perfect, I'd love to meet you outside the service afterwards. I'd love to meet a person who's perfect. None of us is perfect. But what it does mean is that we constantly look to Christ as our guide. When we have questions about what we should or shouldn't do, we look to Christ for answers. Jesus gives us so many answers to the problems that we face, but so many times we don't listen. Or even worse, we're not even aware of what he has to say. Christians have to read and study the Bible on a regular basis because we take the text and then we apply it to our lives. That's what's going on when any of us preach sermons. But if we don't read the text, then we can't apply it to our lives. Love God, love your neighbor, treat others the way you want to be treated, forgive, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, control your anger, be generous, pay attention to those who don't have a voice. Second trait of a Christian leader is that that person must be willing to deny self in a world that's always encouraging us to glorify self. This is what servant leadership is all about, thinking about others and their needs. In the text that Donovan read this morning from Matthew 16, Jesus says this to his disciples, if any want to become my followers, let them deny self and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And then he asks a question, a profound question. What will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life or forfeit their soul? Another way to explain denying self is that you're always thinking about other people. Uh, part of thinking about other people means that you are interested in the lives of other people. Uh, have you ever been around somebody that uh, always wants to talk about themselves? Um, don't point at your spouse or any, you know, anybody next to you, but if you've been around somebody, they always want to talk about themselves. Everything comes back to them, their family, their needs, their, 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 their issues. You know, it, it doesn't matter what the topic is. There are people that always want to bring it back to themselves. And so part of denying self means that you care about what's going on in the lives of other people. And if people need help, then you go help them. If they need to talk, you listen to them. Uh, if they're hurting, you, you try to, to ease their pain or their burden. In this regard, I think that social media might be one of the worst things that ever happened to humankind because it gives people a constant platform to self-promote. 
Now, not everybody uses it for that, but many people do. And then we wait anxiously for digital affirmation. I only got two likes. That was so clever what I just posted. The problem with social media is that it never turns off. There are no office hours on it. It's constant. And what parents and teachers will tell you is that it's leading to more anxiety and depression because young people, first of all, can be mean to each other. And second of all, they know when they're being left out. Talk to Chris or any of the folks that work with our youth. Young people now know when they're being left out. You know, when we, when we were young and we were left out, we didn't know it. We were just left out. But now they're all aware of it. I get to interact with a lot of different people in the ministry, and it doesn't take long to identify those who are completely wrapped up in self, people that only seem to care about their brand, their situation, what you can do for them. Uh, these types of folks are not interested in listening, but in talking. They're not interested in giving, but in getting. They're not interested in how they can help others because they only want to know whether or not you can help them. And if you can't help them, then they have no use for you. You quickly become irrelevant. That's not the way that we're supposed to live life. Jesus calls us to be genuinely interested in the lives of other people. And guess what? It starts in your marriage and in your family. What good is it to travel across town to help inner city kids if you don't have time for your own kids? What good is it to have a bunch of really close friends if you don't ever make time for your spouse? You know, that's one of the things that I'm looking forward to on this, uh, this sabbatical is getting to spend valuable time with my family, with Megan and my three kids. Because when you're in the ministry, your wife and your kids give up a lot. You miss ball games. You miss plays. You miss recitals. Are we making time for the people that we love? Are we genuinely interested in the lives of other people and what they're going through? Are we willing to sacrifice our own desires to help other people? Those are important questions that we all must ask. Third trait this morning. As Christian leaders, we need to be just as concerned about our own shortcomings as we are about the shortcomings of other people. And guess what? This takes humility. Jesus raises the question in Matthew 7, why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? First take the log out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. You know, if people would spend half as much time doing self-reflection as we do pointing out the shortcomings of everybody else, imagine what the world would look like. If we could be humble enough to say, I don't have it all together, but I'm trying. Instead, we say, I can't believe them. And can you believe what she said? Can you believe that, that Bill had an affair? Can you believe that Susie has a drinking problem? She's always stumbling around. Can you believe that, that, that their kid got caught with pot again? You know, it's tempting to point out everybody else's flaws because then we don't have to think about our own but we will never grow until we do an honest assessment of our own lives. I found the Enneagram to be a helpful tool in this. I had Hunter Mobley here this past week teaching on the Enneagram. I think it gives you a starting point. But maybe it's time you sit down with somebody who knows you well and you say, 
tell me, what should I work on? How, how can I do better? And then if you ask the question, then you have to be ready for the response. You can't get mad at them if you ask the question. The truth is many of us don't want to face our shortcomings because it hurts. But we can't work on our character flaws until we name them and own them. And we all have them. You know, some people are really good at pointing them out in other people. All I'm saying this morning is that maybe we need to do our own work first. Don't project your problems onto everybody else. Usually the people that are most critical of others have not done their own work. And I'm not saying that it's easy to own up to our shortcomings. It's hard, but it's necessary if we want to grow. Fourth trait this morning. Christian leaders have to actually practice forgiveness. Everybody says that they believe in forgiveness, but far fewer people actually practice forgiveness. Have you noticed that? Peter asked Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times. A lot. And then Jesus gives a parable. He says there was a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And there was one slave who owed him 10,000 talents. So he brought him in, asked him for the money, and the slave fell to his knees and begged, have patience with me, Lord. I will pay you everything that I owe. And the king felt bad for him, and he forgave him his debt. Well, what did that same slave do when he was leaving the palace? He went and found another slave who owed him 100 denarii, which was way less money than what he had just been forgiven. And he grabbed the guy by his collar, and he said, pay me what you owe me. And when the fellow slave asked him for forgiveness, he refused and he threw him into prison because he couldn't pay. Well, the king found out and he was furious. And he said, you wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave? You know, so many things in life come back to the golden rule. How can we expect others to forgive us if we're not willing to do the same? Christian leaders don't just talk about forgiveness. They actually practice it over and over and over again because they understand that not forgiving others is a foolish way to go through life. Finally this morning, the final trait, and this could be a longer sermon, but it's not gonna be. The final trait of a Christian leader that I wanna share with you today is that they completely trust God with the future. I was having lunch this week with a good friend of mine who just returned to Nashville this summer. Uh, we've been friends for a number of years and um, he's now head of a school locally. And I asked him, I said, I asked him what he had learned and how he had changed during the few years that he was away. And he said this, he said, honestly, I've truly learned to trust in God's provision Things work out. It may not always be the way that we want or the way that we hope, but things work out, and so we have to trust that. You know, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will bring troubles of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. We waste so many moments and days of our lives worrying about things that will never come to pass. And Jesus says, trust God. God will take care of you. Now, will we have to be resilient? Absolutely. Will we have to deal with things that we didn't see coming? Of course. 
But if you are a Christian, if you are a person of faith, there is no substitute for trusting in God and recognizing that whatever we have or whatever we have to face in life, we face together and not alone. We lean on each other and that is powerful. Let me close with these words this morning about leadership. Leadership is not about speed, ideas, efficiency, or power. It's not about knowing your own limitations and celebrating the gifts of others. It is growing in wisdom, understanding the number of our days, and seeking to understand rather than to be understood. It is caring for people, always hoping for and expecting the best. It is being brave enough to be vulnerable in front of others. It is seeing the big picture of where things are and building a road to the future with limited casualties. It is helping each person to sing their song from the heart and leading the band in praise to their maker. Would you join me in prayer? Loving God, I'm so thankful for the chance to talk about Christian leadership, which clearly involves Christian living. I'm grateful for the leaders that are rolling off here at Woodmont and for the new ones that are coming on board uh, here this morning. Help all of us to reflect upon what it means to be a Christian leader, what it means to serve, what it means to put others first, and what it means to grow and take on our own shortcomings. In Christ's name, amen.